make a bold claim. Are you ready? Consumerism. The desire to consume goods and services in an ever-increasing amount is the cult of today. Even scarier, the need for more and more and more has taken on cult status in many of our lives. And consumerism is an ideology that is uncritically admired by the masses and sways us with little effort, I believe. In this cult, our hearts are manipulated and coerced through tactical advertising to live in a constant state of dissatisfaction and consumption. In fact, one of the key emotional manipulation strategies is called FOMO. Can you guys say FOMO? It means the fear of missing out. And next time you read the newspaper or look at Facebook, you'll see things being marketed, advertised for you, and they're using this emotional manipulation strategy called fear against you. One more day less and you'll miss out. Those type of effects. And we panic. And then what do we do? Click purchase. When we miss out on that awesome deal, or epic experience. When we bought those shoes for twice the price that our friend did last week, we feel dissatisfied. We sing with the Rolling Stones. I can't get no, what? Satisfaction. Think about it, the beautiful hues, delicate storytelling and attractive typology found in most ads is designed to make us miserable with our current circumstances. In in our unhappiness, we then buy the lie that true happiness is found in ageless skin, blissful holiday experiences up north going to SeaWorld. Yes, I just did that. And it wasn't that that made me happy. It was my family and being with God. We also buy into the lie of perfect, picture-perfect homes. When the ad boldly asks, do you need this? and we desperately reply, yes, I do, we often reach an intense, unhealthy, inappropriate high for the product. It's like being literally, if you look at the psychology of it, like being under a cult leader. The irony in all this is the product or experience that causes our displeasure is often treated as the solution to our heart problem. To cure our FOMO, we continue to buy the lie that true rest is found when we invest in the cult brands around us. The scriptures call this cult affection idolatry, which simply refers to the worship of idols. And I've got a little definition on the screen by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He defined an idol like this, quote, it is anything in my life that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. My point is this. The world is a consumerism cult full of cult leaders who coerce us to accept their enchanting lies of pseudo-rest. Now, that's a mouthful. I mean to say this. 
The world today is like a cult factory that seeks to stir our hearts to buy into many false promises of peace. Things are trying to sell us rest, shalom, which is peace, happiness, but the reality is they're using manipulation to do that. And here's the cool fact. You do not need to buy the lie. You can be liberated from the need to consume and consume and consume. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples a vocab that included both yes and no. On a teaching about oaths, Jesus said, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let us look at this simple word for a moment, no. In our culture, we are indexed to the secular liturgical calendar of consumerism, which I've been talking about. When we resist Halloween, Valentine's Day, and the excuse to get absolutely sloshed on Australia Day, we are seen as aliens and strangers in this world. You're seen as weird. People think that they have free choice. But the reality is that we are yes people who live under the tyranny of advertising and endless peer pressure. The devil must be having a great time packing our lives with pointless tasks that sap us of all our spiritual vitality. In fact, Corey Ten Boom once wrote, if the devil cannot make us bad, he'll make us busy. Why does he make us busy? Well, every yes takes a little space out of our lives. Over time, we find ourselves marginless, without any room left for what is most important. And what is the most important thing in your life? I think Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The truth is that busyness, the need to constantly consume that next great thing, rips both love of God and love of neighbor out of our tired, weary hands. The kingdom of God is then hijacked by the wants of the world. Or better put, Satan disarms our ability to love and be loved when he makes us busy. Therefore, A.J. Swoboda, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, makes this provocative point. The root sin of busyness is sloth. The laziness of spirit in which the muscles of intention and discernment and boundary have withered. He goes on to say this, sloth of spirit is the inability to say no and have boundaries. Put in another way, a life without boundaries, and by that I mean saying no to the marketing around us, the pressures around us, a life without those types of boundaries begins to be, and it's hard to say, a life without God. Because we're too busy for God.
we begin to say, what, following Jesus, what's that? I've forgotten. And it's hard. As a pastor, my chief role is to encourage you to live your life, to follow the way of Jesus, revealed to us through the apostolic teachings, because that's where true thriving happens. But when there is so many things going on in our lives, and we've said yes to everything, and our lives are packed full, and the world's saying, that is good, I groan for you. While we might emote Jesus as our Lord, those who cannot say no to more, if we're being honest, are functional atheists who live without God most of the time. You might believe you're living the Christian life, but when you look at your life, where is Christ? We need to learn to say no to the consumerism that makes us so busy, too busy for following Jesus. And if that's you, if you're honest with yourself, it has been me even as a pastor, where I become prayerless, where my Bible reading has been lacking, where I have little passion, empathy for the lost. If I get to that place as a pastor, I know that I need to make some major changes. And I know that's for you as well. But I want to say to you, do not lose heart. There's a way we can say no to the idols of consumption and busyness. The answers found from the very beginning, as I mentioned last week, God rested, that word Shabbat, stop, ceased. He was complete and invited us as his image bearers to reflect his way. And what did God do? He worked hard for six days and then he rested easy on the seventh day. And as his image bearers, as we live in alignment with his creation rhythm, we do experience great peace on earth. And we see that this is a gift given to Israel when they were redeemed from slavery. And let me read this scripture again today. Moses writes, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath is a redemption gift here for Israel. It makes that really clear when you read the Ten Commandments as well in Deuteronomy. It's something that they received in a light of being liberated from the tyranny of a seven-day-week slavery under the Egyptian goddess, or quasi-god, Pharaoh. And there's a cool thing here for us. I believe God invites us to enjoy a healthy margin in our lives to love him and love others. God invites us to say no to endless activity and amen, to rest. The gift of rest is a gift to become like Jesus. The perfect model of rest. The Lord of rest. Who often let people down at a rate they could handle. Jesus, the most wise and perfect human, valued holy rest with God so much that he was well attuned to the word, what word is it? No. Jesus was not a yes man. God was too much, too important for that. 
With his excellent usage of the word no, Jesus disappointed his family, his hometown, religious folk, the crowds and rulers. He even urged this rich young ruler to say no to the wealth of the world so that he could live a life in alignment with the kingdom of God. What did the rich young ruler do? He decided, you know what, I love my wealth more. And he said no to following Jesus and yes to consumption. One pastor writes, Jesus would never allow himself to be bullied into doing anything. Jesus said no. And if Jesus can say no, so can we. Like Jesus, we can resist and subvert the cultish systems of spiritual bondage in our world. But more than this, when we abide in Christ, when we remain in him, when we say, yes, you can place your yoke upon my shoulder and I want to be under that yoke and live my life under that yoke, we lack nothing. Psalm 23 here, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Jesus, the good and gentle shepherd, makes us lie down in green pastures He lies us beside quiet waters and he does that so that we could have a refreshed soul. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, invites us to walk with him on his way, a path that is not conformed to the patterns and timelines and systems of the world, but is in alignment with the patterns of the kingdom of God, which is breaking in to the world through his ministry the way of jesus is better to all it's good and holy it's full of new life it requires much suffering saying no but it nonetheless is good it is then no surprise that when we practice rest like jesus our whole life is flipped upside down with his healing shalom what is shalom it is the hebrew word for tranquility and peace. In the creation account, Adam and Eve rested with God in a place of shalom called Eden. There in Eden, there was no war, no cancer, no murder, no strife, no death. Eden is a symbol of heaven on earth, a place of beauty, gladness, serenity for humanity. While we know that the shalom of Eden was shattered by the dark powers of sin, when we take a Sabbath break with Jesus, we taste a glimmer of paradise in him, which affects all every day of our lives. I've been really trying to stop to have a whole day where I can just dwell with God. Yesterday, I went down the road, I think you call the road Cars Springs. Is that the the name of the road? And I was just like, ah. praying, giving thanks for creation. I ended up out at Marywall and had some baked goods there, came back and just was working hard to live in alignment of this pattern of reading scripture, enjoying God's creation, prayer. And I'd say that this rhythm has impacted all my weeks. All of a sudden, every day, I have margin for God. I'm like, where did this time come from? And I'm just sharing my testimony not to talk highly of myself, but I have been more prayerful than my whole life. And I said to someone recently, 
I feel closer to God than ever before. Praying for you guys. Praying for our town. And I'm realizing that just through lived experience, no wonder Jesus continued to call his disciples to pray and teach them to pray. Because as we commune with God in him, we experience true rest. And so that intentional pattern of stopping has actually impacted my whole week, so much so that I feel like I'm living in this constant state of rest. Yes, I'll experience anxiety. As you saw at the start of this service, I was all over the place. I was full of anxiety. I was nervous to see many of you back, okay? But as the service went on, I continued to pray and trust in God, and that rest is really having a big impact upon my life. Jesus says, friends, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. But more than this, when we keep this rhythm of rest, we are slowly refreshed, revived, and refashioned by the healing power of Jesus. There's a reason for this. The Sabbath for Jesus was all about the wholeness of a whole person. On the Sabbath, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, healed a man who was ill for decades, healed a man who was born blind. He even cast out an unclean spirit. If you read the scriptures, you always see he's doing it on the same day, the Sabbath day. Through all these miracles, Jesus pointed people forward to the healed world that is to come. And we see this picture at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, to th- verses 3 to 4. You can see it on the screen. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so this practice of rest modelled to us by Jesus in the Gospels, is both a glimmer of Eden in the past and something pointing forward to the new creation that is to come. Through the Sabbath, we experience both the spiritual wonder of shalom, peace, and the physical power of resurrection breaking into our lives. Please then, do not see it as simply like a legalistic rule. Do not see it in that way. See it as a lifestyle full of God's transformative goodness. Sabbath is a wholesome gift of rest with God that refreshes our whole being, our body, our mind, and our souls. Indeed, I want to move now from Scripture to people who have actually done this. In his study on rest, a researcher by the name of Lerman discovered that when we fail to rest after six days of steady work, we get sick. In his study, he showed that a restless life produces insomnia or sleepiness, hormonal imbalances, fatigue, irritability, irritability um, organ stress, and other serious symptoms. Humans cannot function well outside of this set rhythm in creation. This researcher, he's a secular researcher, he came to that conclusion. 
On a more positive note, another researcher discovered that the Seventh-day Adventists, one of the healthiest groups of people in the world, live an average 10 years longer than a typical person. In his work, he says this, take this idea of Sabbath, they take this idea of Sabbath very seriously, so they are decompressing the stress. About 84% of healthcare dollars are spent because of bad food choices, inactivity, and unmanaged stress and they have this cultural way of managing stress through their Sabbath. While the Adventists are more rigid and law-based with their approach to this, the result here is still intriguing. There's something restorative about stopping and being with Jesus. The point is that the pattern of human flourishing embedded in the creation story and modelled by Jesus in his ministry is wholesome. The call to rest with God is good for our soul. And through the Sabbath practice, God refreshes our whole person and shapes us into new people. People who have a margin in our lives for love. Take William Wilberforce, for example. He devoted incredible time and energy to put legislation through the British Parliament to the to end the slave trade, all because he loved the Lord Jesus. Yet in all his work to love his neighbor as himself, he avoided burnout the entire time, even though it was such a difficult, emotionally difficult, high-stress task. How did he survive? Through the grace of God, he kept a regular Sabbath. He rested in God, and God energized his radical love. And so I invite you today to be subversive. The Sabbath practice is a boycott against the cultish systems of work and consumption that plague our lives. The Sabbath is time where we abide deeply in Jesus and allow his rest to restore our mind, bodies and souls. So what do you think? Desire to resist your slavery more? And rest with God more, to become more available to love? If so, let me pray over you, pray for you. And this is my prayer. May the God of peace give you the zeal and a deep desire to practice and enjoy deep rest.